Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. The core of it is to understand this fifth commandment. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Last week we spent time on the understanding of this commandment as far as how it deals with the children, how it deals with the parent-child dynamic. But I want to go more into this week a little bit more on the parent side of the commandment. And then I want to go on to the societal side because the society is breaking down because of this lack of understanding how to deal with authority. And so we'll make application in that regard in the second part of the sermon. So at the outset, the commandment is about preserving the family and preserving society. The two go hand in hand. If you preserve the family, you'll preserve society. If you don't preserve the family, your society will go in the trash heap. It just won't last if the family unit's messed up. That's why Satan's very clever going after the family unit and trying to destroy it, trying to destroy fathers and the so-called patriarchy, things of that nature. So let's look at the commandment and then understand the implications from it. The commandment is just simple. Honor your father and mother. And the Hebrew word is kavod. Give them weight. And we talked about this last week about we're to give weight to their position. Weight to the authority that the parents have. Now, that whole dynamic is to understand how to deal with other authorities. If you understand how to give weight to your mom and dad, you will understand how to give weight to other authorities in our lives. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, giving weight... To that authority doesn't mean I have to like that authority, okay? So most of the time in your life, in your personal life, you're not going to like the authority structure. You're not going to like the people in the authority. You know, it's a rare jewel if you ever get somebody that's your supervisor or a boss or whatever that's a great authority figure. It's very rare to get that. But boy, howdy, when you get them, they're jewels, man. They're great. But they're rare. Most of the time, you're going to get people that you don't like. I mean, who in the world could like Gavin Newsom, for goodness sakes, man? This guy's crazy, man. And I get that. He's the governor. You give weight to the authority. I don't have to like him, if that makes sense. And so that's what you learn growing up with your parents. You learn how to deal with that authority, whether you like their rules, whether, you know, you don't want to clean up your room. You start learning embryonically how to deal with other authorities. Okay, that being the case then, there's implications. So the implication, I want to go now from the parent side. I want to talk about, because it's a two-way street in this command. Yes, children are to obey their parents, no doubt. And, and we talked about that last week. Now I want to talk on the parenting side. The parenting side, which is to prevent the child from rebelling, is to prevent the child from disliking all or just disrespecting all authority and being rebellious in their adulthood. So I want to talk about that and how to prevent that from the parent standpoint. The first thing, the first implication then we have to understand from that standpoint is uh, number one, the command implies that the authority must be exercised by the parent. Seems simple, but God says, mom and dad, here's the authority. You have the authority and you have the power as the parent to exercise this with your children. It's your duty, your responsibility. But unfortunately, what's happening in Western society, 
His parents are not using their authority, not using the power that God gives the mom and dad. And unfortunately, have created a storm in America where the child becomes the authority in the home. The child is sitting there proverbially on a throne in the house and that child is running the home because the parents have allowed it. And unfortunately, this is why books are written on this now. It's not like I'm making this stuff up. Sociologists have noticed it. In America, we have created the cult of the child. The child dictates whether or not we will come to church. The child dictates the activities of the family. The child dictates our schedule. The child dictates everything to us. And all of a sudden, we have swung the pendulum over and parents don't have any authority because, well, you know, little junior there is in control. Sad, but it's true. I remember a long time ago, parent kept saying, hey, man, we're sorry we're, we're late to church. I know every Sunday we're 45 minutes late. And I say, oh, okay, that's no problem. I, I get it. it's hard to get ready and all that stuff. And then they go, yeah, you know, little Junior here, he likes to climb the tree, and we can't get him down off the tree. <laughs> You're late every Sunday because your kid dr- climbs up in the tree, and you can't get him down, so they're just sitting there, come down, little Junior. We need to go to church. Come down. And he's like, no, 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 and he won't come down. Um, I have a good idea how to get him down. You want me to tell you how to get him down? We don't let little Junior climb up a tree Sunday after Sunday and make the whole family late. But apparently they couldn't get over that until he stopped climbing, got that out of his system. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that family is being controlled by a child. Don't even realize it. See, what my my generation did, Generation X, is respond to our previous generation, the boomers. So Generation X did this. Well, let me start with the boomers. The boomers, in general, okay? Now, please, if you're a boomer or Generation X, like uh, me, I'm not being personal. It's, it's what they have seen, okay? The boomers were allowed by their parents to do anything they want to do. The World War II generation was tired, and the, the parenting was a very light touch on the boomers. This happened through the 60s and whatever. And it created a, a situation where the boomers ended up being about themselves. But what happened in the parenting is a lot of the parenting was called latchkey parenting. Okay, that's where the term latchkey kid came from. So Generation X was latchkeyed. You know, so not a lot of nurturing from the parents, not a lot of help from the parents, not a lot of provision from the parents. So a lot of the kids raised themselves. Okay. The reaction to that pendulum swing from by my generation was, bless God, that's not going to happen to me. And I'm not going to do that to my kids. And so the pendulum swung this way to where the parents went overboard and gave too much to the kids and created entitlement in the children. Because if you give a kid too much, they become entitled. If you give a kid too little, they get, res- uh, they get resentful of the authority. So both pendulums mess up the authority. One sees authority as give me, give me, give me, which makes sense why the younger generation likes Marxism and communism and socialism, because it's all about what I can get from the government. Entitlement, right? Entitlement programs are called. 
And the other one resents authority and wants nothing to do with authority. So both extremes mess up their view of authority. So my generation swung that pendulum the other way and created the helicopter parent. Created the millennials. And you know the millennials? They actually didn't swing the pendulum back the other way. They went further than us. And the millennials not only became the helicopter parent, they became the bulldozer parent. That the kid's agenda will simply bulldoze everybody and everything and every institution. It's about the deification of my child. And so here we are, and now there's being books written, and they'll, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? Well, it comes back to this command. And no one will come back to it because, you know, obviously Christianity, it's post-Christianity in America. But this command prevents that. It's not a guarantee, but it does prevent the, prevent the pendulum swinging both ways. Well, how so? Well, let's start with the first idea that the commandment implies that according to God's design, the primary responsibility of communicating biblical truth to the child comes from the parents. That's why God gives the parents this authority. Their job with, with this authority is to communicate theological truths, the reality of life. All these other things is supposed to come from the parents. And this helps the child to understand um, authority. And that's why the word uh, in Hebrew is kavod. It's to honor something, is to give weight to somebody, to give weight to authority. And so you'll see this all through the scriptures in the Proverbs talking about the parents communicating to the child, okay? So for instance, you'll have this in, in Proverbs, and it'll say this, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. So there's the, the tandem right there. That instruction comes from the, the primary unit, this. Notice that the instruction does not come from the public schools. It does not come from the government. It does not come from their peers. It comes from the parents. So if the parents are neglectful in disseminating information, the child will then find information outside of the parental unit, which is exactly what's happening now. They're finding information from their peers, all these other institutions that will be glad to teach your child. They will be glad if you don't do your job. They want to teach your child. They say, the, the NEA, uh, the, all, all these teachers unions say the child comes to school uh, mentally ill. I'm quoting. The child comes mentally ill to our schools because they're coming from the parent, and we have to retrain their brains. That's them. That's how they think. Look what this other proverb says, obviously. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Now, notice the last part, that length of days and long life. This commandment is the only commandment with a promise that if you do the commandment correctly, you actually extend your life. It not only happened in Israel, but it's a promise to the church as well. If you function well with authority, you, it actually figures in to how long you will live. Believe it or not. It's one of the factors that God will use in determining how long you live. So you have your free will. If you want to eat bad, you can eat bad. That's a determining factor. But another determining factor of how long you live is how well you deal with authority. And that's, that's why the Proverbs mentions it. That's why this command actually has a promise attached to the end of it. Anyway, the model we're looking for is the teacher-slash-model concept that the Bible gives. This is what 
the Bible's trying to teach to prevent rebellion. Okay, so obviously what we've said is that the the main instructors come from the parents. So what what do you mean? What are they supposed to instruct? It's communicating the proper theology. It's teaching the kids about God and how he relates. It's being truth-oriented. Now you think, well, what is the big deal about being truth-oriented? It's a big deal because our our society is not truth-oriented. Our society is lie-oriented because the end justifies the means. These people that are running our country and all over the place believe it's okay to lie as long as it justifies the means. Fauci, like I mentioned before, got caught in his lies and knew the mask didn't work, but said that so that you would do, we wouldn't do a run on the M95 mask. So in his mind, it was a noble lie. He could lie so that the public wouldn't panic and, and start taking all the masks from the hospital. That's called lying, okay? You're not able to do that. But then when you think it's okay to lie, now, what about like you saw on the, on the prophecy update? So these four policemen that were involved in the January 6th uprising, whatever they want to call it, when now we know the FBI was involved in it, and now these four policemen that were involved, all of a sudden committed suicide. Oh, committed suicide. Just four of them. Yeah, they just, yeah, they just committed suicide. I remember Phil Haney telling me if I ever if I ever get killed by the deep state, they're going to tell you I was that I committed suicide, but I didn't. They suicide you. That's what happens. They suicide you. It's called lying. So to teach our kids to be truth oriented, regardless of the cost, regardless of the price you will pay for being truth oriented, it's tough being truth oriented. You pay an awful price. That's what has to be taught. That's how you become responsible. That's how you also become relational. See, you notice that that part of the thing about Christianity is there's a relational aspect to it. Part of the job of of the parents is to teach the kids to be relational. This is the problem we're having with the younger generation when they go to work. They don't know how to function with other people. Do you know why? Because they spent all their time on their phone growing up, and they spend all the time playing video games. So now they're in a world with people, and they have to interact, and they can't cope. They're stressed. They're, it's too much. So what do they do? Take the, the government money and not work because they're stressed. It's a stressful environment. No, it's not stressful. It's just reality. This is how life is. People are difficult. You have to learn to deal with them. Grow some thick skin. See, but if the parent's not telling them that, the government will coddle them and say, you're right, man. Whoa, it's so stressful to work at Starbucks, man. I know the heavy load that you're having putting all that caramel on the top of those, those frappuccinos. That's got to be stressful. Wow, you need a break. Go work at McDonald's. It's all automated now. But that's the main thrust. Now, there's three little areas, three sub-points in this. It's simple, but it's profound. The first thing in the teacher modeler is that the parent is to be the protector. Okay, simple. Well, what do you mean? Obviously, to provide a safe home environment, which is extremely rare these days. You talk to some of these kids in the public schools about their home. It's not a safe environment. It is a hostile environment. It's crazy. It's nuts. I don't know how anyone lives like that. 
that's not happening, obviously, and it's going to cause rebellion later on. But the parent's main instructor is instruction on, on protection is to warn the child of what reality is like. And what is it? Well, first of all, if you're a Christian, you've got three enemies that are coming after you. What do you mean? You've got the devil, uh, the world system, and the flesh are all coming after you. They want you, and they're playing a game for blood. The kids have to be warned about this, warned about the temptation, warned about what Satan will do to them, warned about what their own sin nature will do to them. But see, unfortunately, what's happened in America and Christendom is parents have decided, no, no, I'm not going to tell them how evil the world is because I want them to be innocent. I'm going to put them in a protective bubble and pretend that this is not happening, and then when they're 18, I'll tell them. I've seen that play out. I've seen parents put the kid in a bubble till they were 18, and then what happens when they're 18? Okay, this is the world. Whoa! And they can't handle it. And the devil's coming after them. All these things are coming after them. They can't handle it. And guess what they do? Succumb to temptation and they're involved in some crazy lifestyle. Instantaneously. Because ignorance doesn't protect you. Information, right information, protects kids. So I want you to think about it. Some parents are reticent for telling their kids what's happening. Dude, there's transgenderism. There's, there's guys thinking they can menstruate. Really? There's, there's guys who, the new, the new little M-Joy that's going to come on your phone is a dude with a beard that's pregnant. You're going to have to tell your kid about that, that that can't happen. That's wrong. That's an abomination. But the parents are like, no, I don't want to expose him to that because I don't really want him to know how crazy it is. If you don't, then his peers will. And if you don't, guess what? The teacher will, because they're all on board on this. I mean, God bless the, the Christian teachers that are trying to be salt and light. But hey, you Christian teachers, you know what I'm talking about. You know the rest of your colleagues. You know what they're doing. They're indoctrinating. And, and this is the problem. This is the fight. So, so you're like, well, well how, what, are, what's the, what, what age do I start with? Like warning my kids, like high school? Uh, no, because the kindergarten teacher is teaching uh, 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 Joey has two dads or, or, or Sandy has two moms or we're not going to call each other by male and female. We're going to just call it cisgender, this, that. Your kindergarten teacher is doing that. So when, I guess, do you start talking to your kids? When they start getting attacked. And if they're being attacked in kindergarten, you better tell that kid. Because they're getting ahead of all of us. We're way too late in the game. Well, I'll wait till they're a senior to start telling them about the birds and the bees. What? They already know it. Fifth grade, fourth grade, they already know it. Because why? Well, the, the, the social media. So parents have to protect by getting the right information to them. Do you know why Josh McDowell, when he studied why we're losing 80% of the kids from Christian homes, that like, you know, they grow up in a Christian home, they say they love Jesus, but then the minute they graduate, they're gone. They, they're off the leash. They're, they're blowing town. They want anything to do with the church, anything to do with Christ, nothing. They're gone. Why is that? The main factor that Josh McDowell found was that the parents didn't prepare them for what they would get in college. They would get some dude at college, some professor, that would tell them that the belief in creation is wrong and that evolution is true. 
that there are no genders. There are, you know, the, the, you know, all the patriarchy, all this wokeism. So the kids get that from college and they have no way to rebut that because they have not been prepared that, hey, dude, let me tell you when you get to college. The first day, the professor in the class is going to go around, okay, we're going to do role. And uh, as I go through role, you tell me what pronoun you want us to refer to uh, in, in your sense. That's the first day. Uh, Billy, what are you? I'm a cisgender. That's the first thing they're going to hear on day one in the college. And, and, and so if the kid's not prepared, he's going to get messed up. But if the parent said, hey, first day, it's going to be like this. Oh, yeah, mom told me that. Or dad told me that this is what they would do. Look, at they're doing exactly what mom and dad told me to do. That's how you hang on to them. It's the lack of information that Josh McDowell figured out. And he says, actually, the kids resented their parents for not telling them about evolution, about wokeism, about communism and all that. They resented the parents for not telling them. Because if, if this is the truth, mom and dad, then you should have evidence to stand on. You should be able to back up Noah's Ark. You should be able to back up creation and have answers for that. But mom and dad didn't because they weren't in protect mode. The second thing is supervisor mode. Supervisor. Now, what's the idea here? Well, it's, it's what it's not. It's not that I'm friends with my kids. I can be friends with my kids when they're adults but not when they're growing up. I'm their supervisor, just as, 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 a, as a job. My job as a parent is to make sure things get done. I mean, it's practical things. Did you do your homework? Did you do this? You, you have to be on them. Now, the, the kid might think you're nagging him, okay? The kid's going to say, quit nagging me. Get off my back. No, no. Your job as a supervisor is to manage that child. That's the proper role. Because guess what? When the kid gets old enough and starts working, he's going to have a supervisor, and the supervisor is going to manage him. And he's going to say, did you get this done? Is this the deadline? Yeah, okay, for, by Friday, well, I need this done. Okay, by uh, next week, I need this done. You're going to have a, somebody on your back telling you what to do. And so if the kid is pitching a fit, well, I don't like supervision, he won't like supervision when he's older. That's why certain people go from job to job to job to job to job to job because they can't deal with authority telling them what to do and putting deadlines on them. Starts with the home. So parents... Do not resist when the kid says, get off my back. Quit nagging me. Just keep at it. Just stay at it. Just keep supervising. Get it done. Get it done. They're going to pitch a fit. They're going to say, I don't like you. I hate you. I can't stand you. Great. They say that when you get a kid says, I hate you, you're doing your job. Okay? I know that sounds crazy, but that's the supervisor role. Now, the next one is this. Now, we all don't do this great. I struggle with, I struggle with all of these. I still got kids. I still got teenagers. And I'm sure when they're older, they're going to need counseling for growing up in a pastor's home. Uh, I could, I wouldn't wish that on anybody here. What an awful thing to grow up in a pastor's home. It's got to be psychologically damaging to people. I don't know. But anyway, the provider, this is a tricky one. Because this, this, this helps with offsetting rebellion. The lack of provision, if the kid doesn't get enough help, in the four areas that the provision has to happen in, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. 
Those are the four categories. Now, some parents are good about providing physically, but they don't provide mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So there's four categories in provision. Now, the key is to try to do all four categories as best you can to give the child what they need to succeed, to have some wins under their belt, okay? If there's not enough provision the child will go rebellious on you because he's not getting what they need. And they'll grow up like that. that, that and the, the mindset will be authority cannot be trusted because they never give you what you need. Okay. The opposite is true as well. If you give too much provision and you, go, you cross the line between the needs and you get mixed up with the wants and you start getting too much, the child will become entitled that they deserve all of this. And so provision without limitations creates entitlement. And so you have both. Now, as a parent, you're going to be straddling this line of too much, too little. But as long as you know you're straddling the line and you're not on polar opposites, then you're doing the best you can. And that's all one one can expect because it's hard. I get it, man. There's no manual on this. And you're dealing with principles here, not so much laws. That being the case, then, all these things need to happen in order to ensure that the child understands how to deal with authority. Okay. Now let's get into our personal lives. What if you didn't get this growing up? What if this was not modeled to you? What if this was not taught to you? What if one of the parents were dysfunctional? What if both parents were dysfunctional? What if you had an abusing situation? What if you had a molestation situation? What if you had a lack of provision, a lack of nurturing? What if you had too much? What happens when this is out of balance? Well, if you're not careful, you will look to other things to fulfill this need in your life. And unfortunately, what Satan will do is put up in front of you counterfeits to be counterfeit parents in front of you. So this is why, like, for instance, people will join gangs. That's a counterfeit belonging. It feels like a family. It feels like, you know, there's some authority there. And so people will gravitate to gangs or they'll gravitate to their peers or they'll gravitate to institutions, or they'll gravitate to government, or whatever. They'll start gravitating to the wrong things to look for a substitute. This is the problem with guys and girls when they're single. A guy who lost his mom or lost his dad will be on the hunt for mom and dad. A girl who lost her dad or mom will be on the hunt for mom and dad. And they will try to find it in their partner. And you and I, when you're single, can't be their daddy. We can't be their mommy. But when you see that in a marriage and you have a parent-child relationship in a marriage, that's exactly what happened. They looked for their parent. And they married someone according to that need and that desire. Well, your spouse is not supposed to be in that role. That's not how it rolls. That's how it goes. So what am I supposed to do? What you're supposed to do 
which should have happened growing up if your parents were doing the right thing, is eventually your parents were to hand you off to Jesus. That once you grew up and became mature enough, that, okay, now you're ready for a real relationship with God and not a relationship through us to him. You are one-on-one with him, and now you have graduated into you and God alone in this. Whatever age that happens, it depends on the child, but that's the progression. We are not to create kids who are adults who are still dependent on us. We are to kick them out of the nest. It's you and Jesus. It's you alone. You can't keep riding my coattails. And so if that happens, that's great. But if it doesn't happen, then you create a dependency, unfortunately, from the child to the parents. And they will forever be dependent on their parents. Well, what do you mean? Will they be emotionally dependent, mentally dependent? And they will stay attached to them and they won't leave and cleave. Three biggest things in marriage that causes problems, and it's still true today. Money, sex, in-laws. Those are the three biggies. The in-law one comes from not doing this correctly. You have in-laws interfering in the marriage, interfering in, in the relationship of the family dynamic, and that new family is overridden by an overbearing in-law. Whether it's the mom or it's the dad, it doesn't matter. They never can separate, and they will forever be attached and creates a lot of problems. So the idea then is, well, I grew up like this, you say, and I experienced a deprivation of this, and, you know, and it's not to blame your parents. I just want you to see the reality of things. So what am I supposed to do, Brandon? Well, this is what we do in counseling is we train people to, you're done with your parents as far as looking to them to fulfill those needs. You need to transfer and get those needs met in your heavenly father. Get those needs met with Jesus. And if you go back, show the, show the list again. If you look at all the lists, the teacher, model, protector, supervisor, provider, that's what God will give you. And he does give you. He gives you protection. He gives you supervision. He gives you provision. All of that is wrapped up in Jesus. And so the key for health, spiritual health, is, okay, you had a bad upbringing. Okay, now transfer to God and get that need met through him. Not other people, through him. And that's how you grow out of that and start getting spiritually healthy. That's the whole goal in the, the, if you came from that kind of background. That being the case, I, I need to answer this question for you then. The commandment says, you shall honor your father and mother. It doesn't say you shall love your father and mother. Why is that? Well, let's unpack this a little bit so we all understand, and I want to release a burden for you if you're carrying it. Jesus summarized the law, the Ten Commandments, of 613 commandments, of the one section, one through four, loving God, and then uh, commandments uh, five through ten is love thy neighbor. Okay? So if you read what the, the, the New Testament says, Jesus used... Well, he, he, would, he was speaking Hebrew and Aramaic. But the, the, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Holy Spirit inspired the definitive word for love in that passage. The love for love of God and love of neighbor is agape love. Well, that's different than most people think, okay? 
we're asked to agape everyone. We're asked to agape our enemies. But see, agape is defined as seeking the best for somebody self-sacrificially. So that's why you could love an enemy. You'd seek the best for your enemy. I pray Kamala Harris is get saved. That would be a love for her, right? I pray that they would come to the faith in, in Jesus and turn and repent and stop what they're doing, right? That's agape. So you wouldn't seek revenge on your enemies. You wouldn't try to do them harm. Is that the, that's the idea. I seek the best for the individual, okay? But in the Greek, there's four understandings of love, and they're all parsed out, and they're different. So you have agape, but then you have storge. The storge is familial love. Love between a, a parent and a child, or a child and a parent, or siblings, or things of that nature. You have storge. Then after that, you have phileo, or it's where we get the word Philadelphia from. Phileo is brotherly love, friendship love. This is something you would want to be when, when you're an adult uh, child to your parents. When they're older, you would be more of a friend to them rather than them being an authority figure in your life. But that's if everything goes well. And then the fourth one is eros, which is romantic love between a spouse. Okay. In the brilliancy of God, in the, it is absolutely brilliant. The commandment allows for the disruption in the family unit that there may be situations that the child will not storge or Philadelphia their family because of such dysfunction in the family unit. They may want to get away from the family unit, get away from their parents. They want to get away from their siblings because they're so dysfunctional. All the scripture is asking you to do is to agape them. But it doesn't ask you to storge or Philadelphia them. And therefore, that's why the command says you shall honor your father and mother. Because the Bible anticipates it. And the funny thing about this is, I want you to, I want you to think about the brilliancy of God. Society stands on this command that if people will honor authority, your society will work. It doesn't say that if you love the authority, then your society will work. Doesn't that make sense? I don't have to love Gavin Newsom. I have agape, but I don't have to Philadelphia him. Like I would sit there and have a sandwich with him. I don't have to. It's not required of me. So what God is saying is for your society to stand, you must honor authority. That's it. Brilliant. So then Storge in Philadelphia is not the basis of a standing society. It's agape and honoring. Wow. Okay, I can get that. Now let's move. Let's shift gears. Societal application. We're in the midst of a fight right now, if you haven't noticed. A big fight. And it's over the mandates. Now, since we're talking about authority, how does that apply? Because most churches, most pastors misunderstand Romans 13 and say, look, we just need to obey the authorities. So line up and get your shot. Line up and get vaccinated because you have to love one another. So they're spiritualizing it, right? 
But when they say that, it shows you they don't understand how to deal with authority. We do not give blanket acceptance of authority, especially when they're doing stuff that violate the Bible and violate even the laws of the land. So let me show you about this. So the the implication I want to show you is that the command sets the foundation for understanding, accepting, and and dealing with those who, who have positions of authority over us. Okay. This is how, this is what Christians and society should have learned from the parenting unit. If your parent was to command you as a child to violate scripture, would you be obligated to do that? No. If a woman is submissive to her husband, but her husband asks her to violate a principle in scripture, is she obligated to obey him? No. So that would be learned in the family unit and then should be applied to the government. And so the first implication of all of this, I have several implications of this, and letter A is the authority cannot ask you to violate biblical truth. So what do you mean? Well, they're thinking about lockdowns again, man. I can tell you this, lockdowns would violate Hebrews 10.25. We're not locking down. We're just not, okay? The second thing, the mandates about, about the vaccinations. Now that all that's come out about the vaccinations that they're trying to hide, I can, I can rest assured, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that I, as a religious objector, I don't have to take the vaccine because it violates 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's putting something into my body that pollutes the temple of my, of my body. My body is a temple. I am not to pollute it. I'm not to defile my body with whatever substance that, that is out there. I'm not to mistreat my body because my body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. Therefore, under that umbrella of Scripture, I am able to defy the vaccine. If you want to call it a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. So I have Hebrews 10.25 and I have 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to say, no, I will not do that. I'm a religious objector. Two, the authority has to be functioning under proper jurisdiction and the law of the land. By the way, they are not functioning under proper jurisdiction, nor are they proper uh, uh, doing things by the law of the land. Let's talk about that. So you have your biblical authority, and now the, the submission to authority has to do with jurisdiction. And you, as a Christian, have to understand the highest jurisdiction is the highest law of the land. Guess what that is in America? The Constitution, the Bill of Rights. That's the highest law of the land. The First Amendment with the free exercise of clause, free exercise of religion clause, protects the practice of my Christianity and allows me not to take a vaccine if I don't want to. That's where it is. It's in the First Amendment. Therefore, the law of the land says I don't have to do this. So when a lower jurisdiction whether it's a governor, a mayor, or even a hospital employee tells me I've got to be vaccinated, they're violating the law of the land, the First Amendment. Second, they're violating their own laws. This so-called vaccine is still still experimental. According to our laws of the land, you cannot force or mandate experimental vaccines on people, and yet they're doing that. They're violating their own laws. And I know that's what they do all the time. But I'm not obligated to obey the jurisdiction. See, when they started messing around with the Apostle Paul in court like this, 
Festus and Felix messing around with him. Do you know what Paul did? He stopped the, the circus. He stopped the banana republic that was going on with Festus and Felix. And he said, that's it. I appeal to Caesar. What did he do by doing that? He appealed to the higher jurisdiction, which was Caesar. And therefore, that's who it stopped all the nonsense that was going on in the lower courts. And that's what's happening today. The higher law, the Constitution, and the laws on the book protect you and I from mandatory vaccinations. Okay? So I want you to know that you have a biblical basis to resist if you want to. C, the authority must function correctly according to Romans 13. Well, what do you mean by that, function correctly? Well, according to Romans 13, the government's responsibility and their sole responsibility is to punish evil and reward the righteous. That's it. That's their job. Their job is not to get into my medical business. Their job is not to get into my private rights. According to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. They're not to get involved in my private property either. Because private property, because of thou shalt not steal is an endowment right from the creator. So they can't tell me what to do with my property. They're not supposed to tell me what to do with my health. See, thou shall not murder indicates that, that life comes from the creator and is sacred, and they have no right to mess with my life. That's all the basis of the Ten Commandments. And so they're not functioning according to Romans 13. Then I don't have to listen to that jurisdiction if they're not obeying Romans 13. Z. The authority must not exceed the responsibilities that are defined in Scripture. What is the role of government? Well, the role of government is to issue, I guess, to defend the rights of individuals and to keep God's law intact. So, for instance, when God says, thou shall not murder, they're to protect that. They're to keep that. They're to execute that. But the government does not have the ability to make up their own morality because God has set the morality. So so when the government starts making up its own morality, they're out of compliance with Romans 13. Now, let me give you the last one, and I want to spend some time on this. The authority may not require people to obey on lies, based on lies. And that's a big one. So people, when you hear people say, well, you should go to obey the government because, you know, the Bible says to obey all the government, not when they're lying. Let me ask you this simple question, and you all probably have the answer. If you and I were in Nazi Germany, and we hear Hitler, the chancellor, go up there and say, you know what, all the Jews are the problems. We need to round them up. We need to take them out of our society. They're causing the problems to society. They're poisoning our society. They're vermin. They're, we just got to round them up. And so we need your help. We need your help in rounding them up, spotting them out. Don't hide them. Give them over to us when we come down your your neighborhood. Show us where the Jews are at. I think pretty much everybody in this room would say, I'm going to disobey the authority because the Jew, they were lying about the Jews. The Jews were not the problem, right? And so everyone would disobey. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. Right. When the authority gives you a command, but the command is based on lies, you have no obligation to obey it at all, just like you wouldn't obey Hitler in Nazi Germany. So that brings us to what I want to point out. What we have found out 
about all of this nonsense is revealing, which is not told to the public, but is, but is now starting to leak out, and we now have an understanding that we're being lied to. First off, the virus. We now know the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Fauci, Peter Drozik, was involved in the NIH giving money to the Wuhan lab for gain of function, we know this, for genetically engineering a bioweapon. That's all out. I know you don't hear it in the media. That's what this was about. The, the, the virus was not for the virus. The virus was for getting the vaccine implemented. That's what this was about. It's about billions and billions of dollars, by the way. That's why they shadowed hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and all the other things that could have helped aid people survive this thing. That's why they shut it down. The PCR test, if you got that test, now has been proven that 90% of the PCR tests gave false positives. That's why LeBray said that yesterday. Dr. Peter McCullough, of the 600,000 deaths that happened in America from COVID-19, 85% of those deaths could have been avoided if the doctors would have given hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or, uh, I can't even say it, remdesivir. Am I saying that right? If they would have given those in the early stages of them, they would have survived it. But yet, hydroxychloroquine was blacklisted. And your doctor said, I'm not going to give it to you because it's dangerous. Where did your doctor get that information that hydroxychloroquine was dangerous? Because right now, Zimbabwe and Indonesia are getting 14 million doses of it to protect their country. Where did that happen? I can tell you where it happened. Lancet, the medical journal published an article. It was a false paper with false database. So it was all a lie. They published something that was wrong and said that hydroxychloroquine was hurtful to people. At that point, the FDA picked up that. Then the American Association of Doctors picked up on that. Then the pharmacies picked up on that. And your own doctor picked up on that. And all of a sudden, a safe drug became, oh, that'll kill you. We've been doing it for a 100 years, for goodness sake. What happened? Well, because of the Lancet report, which had now been proven false, and they had false data, they based it on that. That's why you didn't get hydroxychloroquine. That's why you and I had to go to frontline doctors to get hydroxychloroquine. There's something fundamentally wrong here, guys. Something's up. Furthermore, Now we're seeing, as they blame you and I for being unvaccinated and that we're the super spreaders, it's the actually opposite. It's those who have been vaccinated that are spreading the variants, the Delta variant that you hear so much about. It's coming from those who have been vaccinated. Do you know why? Because what they have found out now is that the vaccines are facilitating the, the virus and, and, and accelerating the virus to be more spreadable from the, from the vaccine. It's not you and I who haven't been vaccinated that's spreading this. It's those who've been the jab. It's those guys. The vaccine feeds the virus and makes it more transmittable. Then the spike protein in the vaccine is a lethal pathogen for a lot of people. 
A lot of people are dying, and they're not telling you they're dying. Why? The spike protein travels in the body. So like when you get a shot, it would stay in your deltoid or it stays in, in your backside when you get a, a, a vaccine, right? This thing is traveling all over your body. It doesn't stay in your deltoid or your hip. It goes all over your body. And you know what this spike protein is doing now? It's damaging blood vessels. Blood clots are now happening. People are having bleeding. They have inflammation, and it's leading to death. I'm not going to tell you that. And then if you go to the mRNA, which is even more dangerous, the mRNA, what they have found, is it's an epigenetic controller of DNA. It's telling your cells what to do. And they don't know the long-term effects of this. They've never used something like this for, for this issue. And the vaccine is not a vaccine. You know, in a vaccine, what they do, and you know this, is they give you a little bit, a weakened dose of the virus, right? Or whatever it is. They give you a weakened dose, and your body has the immunity and fights against it, and you build natural immunity of it. That's, this is not what this does. It actually creates a spike protein, and that spike protein goes all over your, your body and can kill you. And then the uh, mRNA, we don't know what cells it turns off or what it turns on because they've never been tested. We don't know if down the road two years from now or three years from now this causes cancer in you because it tells your cells to start creating cancer or stops the cells that would fight cancer from fighting cancer. That's pretty scary stuff. And they want to jab me? They're my, the, the bosses that we have want to say, yeah, you take the vaccine you, or else. They're lying. You are under no obligation. No obligation spirit, uh, uh, scripturally or the, by the laws of the land. You are in perfect harmony with scripture if you defy this. It's your choice. It's your body. You make that choice, but if you choose not to take the vaccine, obviously you will pay the ramifications of what's going on in society, but with God, you're clean. You're totally clean to avoid the vaccine and say, I will not do that. So as you can see, those things that we learn from our parents, those authority structures, are now bearing the weight now in society of whether or not people get the vaccines. And when you see the lemmings just march in line and say, shoot me up, and then celebrate it on Twitter and put it on their Instagram, hey, I got vaccinated. When you see that, I want you to think about what they believe about authority. Based on what we just learned, they didn't learn proper authority in the home, and that's why they're followers today. Do you see how crucial this command is? It's hitting us right now. Your choice. Your choice. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.